And now, get ready for an exclusive look into the music industry with Behind the Mic host, Dylan Ingram. Bring you back, back in my arms like you never left. Is it so wrong that I'm hoping you miss me enough that our history brings you back, brings you back to me? What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of Behind the Mic. I'm your host, Dylan Ingram, and today I'm joined by singer-songwriter Dylan Brady, who also happens to have the best first name of any guest. I was about to say the same thing. Yes, the best first name of any guest in Behind the Mic history. And you spell it right, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we spell it the same way. This is my question to every other Dylan. Did people come to your birthday party growing up and on the cards write the wrong way? Like, Yes. I was always yes. like, why are you coming to my birthday party right now? I know. It's always right receipts when I'm going out to eat. And I say, Dylan's never spelled right. A lot of times they'll throw the D-I-L-L-I-O-N. I'm like, that isn't even Dillion. <laughs> yeah, bro. I I've, I definitely lost a couple guests in my birthday parties growing up just for the name. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, you heard it here first. D-Y-L-A-N. That's how you spell it. That's right, that's bro. the spelling. The only yeah. way. The only way. Everyone else, they're imposters. Yeah. Dude, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, something really cool. That was one of the first things I noticed about your Instagram is that you release a song a month. And you're the second guest that I've had on here. Ian McConnell also did that, where you yeah. have that have that release pattern once a month. So what made you decide to go with that release plan? That's a great question. Well, it's a new it's a new release plan for me. It actually started. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, but two weeks ago it started. Or three weeks ago it started um, on May twenty seventh. I, w- I released the first song to start the song a month releases, and I'm sure we'll get to it later on in the interview. But I am recently a newly independent artist. Um, I was in a record deal for three years, where I wasn't releasing music at all. And you know, we live in a landscape now, which I could talk about it for hours. But we live in a landscape now where if you either talk about feeding an algorithm or feeding fans, if you continually feed both of that, it's such a weird way of putting it, but if you continually are releasing and and building, it's going to grow. Regardless if it's 10 more people on the next song or a million more people, either way, it's gonna build. It's more people hearing those songs. And we live in a world you know, with TikTok, Instagram, Spotify, if you're feeding it, it's gonna grow. And so, you know, coming out of my, and we'll talk about it more, but, you know, coming out of the, coming out of the deal, you know, I was just like, I just want to build this and just, you know, it's just, you know, it's just content, 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 you know, let's just build something organic and undeniable, you know, and the only way to do that is, you know, you got to give them the product, you know, I feel like the days are behind us of like waiting on one song to change everybody's life. It's like, cool. Like, that's great. I'd love, you know, I wish three weeks ago that song broke the internet and changed my entire life, but like, it didn't. And that's okay. And so it's like, you know, you give yourself more chances to break the internet. You're probably going to break it on one, you know, like throw more lines in the water. You're probably going to catch a fish, you know? Yeah. Um, That's my outlook on it. Yeah. And and Ian also said, which was a good point that people just have shorter attention spans now. Like it's a, it's a hard ass to get someone to carve out 40 minutes to listen to a whole album, but Hey, two and a half, three minutes, like that's, that's nothing. That's exactly it. And I think not only do they have short attention spans, but like, if you can take up five places in their playlist rather than one, like, wouldn't you want that? Like, wouldn't you want to like, I mean, that's more listens, that's more streams, that's all over. And people's attention spans are like this. And so if you continually throwing, I mean, also like with TikTok, you know, if somebody sees your video once, who says they're ever going to see it again, right? 
So like if you continually are throwing out more content, there's a higher chance of more people seeing it continually. So, yeah. So with releasing a song a month, that's obviously a lot of work. There's several steps to it and you're doing that every month that can kind of get exhausting. So does the whole process of writing and recording ever start to feel like work to you or you just love it so much, such a passion that you're just like, this is awesome. I love that I get to do this every day. It's so interesting. Long story short, it never gets tired. I never get tired of it. Do I get stressed? Yes, that is for sure. Um, but it's an interesting thing. Two years ago, top of the pandemic, um, my roommate uh, had tested positive for COVID and I had to miss Thanksgiving. And so it was two weeks by myself. It was cold. I didn't go outside. You know, all day I was shooting TikToks. I was recording. You know, I wasn't doing a song a month um, at that point. But the reason I'm telling you this story is I had a realization in those two weeks where, you know, all day I was working, I was doing TikToks, I was producing, I was, you know, continually working like sundown to sunset. At the end of the day, the last thing I wanted to do was play guitar. And the last thing I wanted to do was look at another screen. And so I had this realization, like, what a wild thing when your hobby becomes your job and you don't have a hobby yeah. anymore. So uh, I, long story short, you know, I, I don't get tired of it. I love it so much. It's my favorite thing in the world. Do I get stressed? Yes. Um, but I look for other things now to replace that hobby. And I don't know if I found my favorite hobby yet, but I think even as simple as, you know, at the end of my work day where I'm always working and, and I'm sure we'll get into that as well. I'm always working, but now I've also given myself the, the, the okay to be like, okay, go eat dinner with your girlfriend and go watch a show and go to bed, you know, like rather than, yeah. you know, because uh, even for anybody, and I never understood the word burning out. I never thought I could. It's like, who would get burnt out writing songs every single day? I love it. But it's also just for the creative process. It's okay to, to take a step back, especially with a really rigorous release schedule, like what a song every single month. The whole process, there's a lot that that entails, writing, recording, mixing, releasing, distributing, marketing. So out of all those, which of those are handled by you? It may be all of them or... Is there anything that you kind of hand off to someone else to take some of the load off? Dylan, you are catching me at such an interesting time in my career um, because <laughs> I, um, so I had a manager for eight years. Um, he met me when I was 15, love him to death. He's like my older brother, but I actually just let him go in December. Eight years is a long time for anything. Um, I have a lot of love for him still, but it was right after I got on my record deal, got out of a publishing deal, let go of my manager. And so now I am single and ready to mingle. Um, so <laughs> to ask, answer that question, it's actually been a learning curve, these releasing a song every single month, you know, before uh, something as simple as, you know, running an Instagram ad. I had never done that before. My manager would do it. Um, but now, you know, I'm, I'm fully in control of everything that's happening right now. You know, I'm releasing through um, a company called Command Shift. Uh, they're a distribution company. Um, you know, you can release your songs through something like TuneCore, where basically you just press upload, but Command Shift, you know, you do have some people to, to lean on, um, but, you know, I'm not really leaning on them for much other than helping me, uh, you know, make this adjustment into the indie artist world, you know, the independent artist world compared to coming out of a, a, a major label artist um, role that I was in. Um so everything, funny enough, 
from writing the songs to producing the songs, I produce them, you know, usually co-produce them with a, a, a buddy, you know, um, Brett Truitt, my, my girlfriend's brother, um, or Adam Yarone has been producing some stuff with me, but I'm still co-producing it. Then I'm distributing it. And then I'm, it's all of it. So I'm wearing a lot of hats right now, but I, I really like being able to take control of my, my career. So would you say, you said you're active on TikTok and Instagram. Would you say Instagram or TikTok is one of your biggest marketing platforms? Oh, dude. I mean, I think the, the the bigger answer is I think TikTok is the best marketing tool that's ever happened to the music industry. I mean, this, the fact that you can wake up, either one of us can go on that app tomorrow and reach millions of people in one post is absolutely mind-blowing to me. So both are very, very, very important marketing tools. You know, TikTok, as we said before, if, if somebody sees your video once, they might never see it again where that's great because millions of people can see it. But Instagram, the great part about it is if somebody follows you, they're going to see it again. They made that personal decision. It's a lot more personal on Instagram. So I think I look at both apps a little bit differently. Uh, Instagram has reels now, which is definitely is discoverable, but it's still way more personal on Instagram than it is TikTok. And TikTok is still way more discoverable than Instagram. So I use them to, you know, advantages on each side, pros and cons to both. So yeah, I don't know if I would say I use one as a better or a more important marketing tool because they both have very, very important roles. You know, we live in a world now where like some kid can wake up tomorrow who's written one song in his entire life and it can change his life tomorrow. And it's, you know, then they got to follow up um, with yeah. more songs and better songs. <laughs> but it is, it's pretty wild. You know, we've never been in this, in this landscape um, in any industry, but especially the music industry. I, I mean, I love it. I mean, I, I have nothing. I think it's the best thing, honestly, that has ever happened in the music industry. It's independent artists can thrive now. You know, you don't necessarily need a label to change your life. So yeah, I think both are very important. Is there any specific tactics that you've used to grow your social media following? Or is it more kind of like you mentioned earlier, just trying to feed the algorithm, just pushing content? Yeah, dude, I, I actually have a lot of conversations like this. Um, you know, I learned early on back when I was in high school, um, you know, Vine was a thing and Twitter was, whereas I'd probably at its height um, as far as, you know, people using it to grow. Um, and I learned early on, you know, I was on all these really cringy, cringy, cringy social media tours where like, it was just a bunch of guys who had a following and, and some artists who had a little bit of a following, um, which was, I was one of those guys. And I learned really early on, as cringy as they were, that the music is the most important thing, right? You need, you need hit songs. You need great songs, right? But if you have no ears to hear those songs, if you have no fans to listen to those songs, what's the point of those songs in the first place? Nobody's ever going to hear them, right? Then you might as well just be writing them in your bedroom and never playing them anyway, you know? Yeah. And so I just learned early on that, dude, that I take back the thing I said two seconds ago that the music is the most important. Having, a, having people to listen to your songs is just as important as having hit songs. I think the answer is just for anybody is just continuous content. It's got to be quality yeah. content, but if you are continuously feeding it, that's the best way to do it. You know, on TikTok, I learned, you know, early on what was working for me. Um, I've had to uh, adjust a little bit content wise because I think I oversaturated with the same amount of the same type of content for so long, but um it's just consistent content. And I think it's engaging. It's engaging with those people who engage with you. You know, you're nothing without those fans, you know, it's like, then who's there to listen to it. And so you should thank them and you should be DMing them and you should be commenting back to them. And that's how I look at it is, you know, creating relationships with those people um, and giving them the content they're looking for continuously. And I think that's the best way to grow it. 
something else that I've seen you do on social media is you kind of film yourself showing people your song for the first time. I saw some videos with your newest release where you like you played your new song for your girlfriend's family or you were just going up and getting a stranger's reaction. Are you ever nervous to let people hear your song for the first time and how they're going to react or you just excited to get some fresh ears listening um, to it? It's so funny. I don't know if I'm necessarily nervous, uh, especially like in front of my girlfriend's family. Like that, that oh, yeah. I wasn't nervous for at all. But like it's it's not even it's not even about the reaction I'm gonna get from them about the song. It's more just bothering people. I don't want to like the people yeah. in the video. <laughs> the the video uh, on the beach where I showed people you tomorrow. Uh, one of the girls was so sweet, the one who actually listened. But the first girls, we went up to them, and I literally asked them, I was like, "How's your day going?" They're like, "Good." I'm like, uh, "Happy to be on the beach." They're like, "Yeah." And then I was like, "Less happy now that I'm here." And one of the, gr- the girls goes, "Yeah, honestly." And I was like. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I just don't want to bother people. And clearly I did. Yeah. So what's about the reaction? I mean, listen, music, one of the most beautiful things about music is that just because somebody likes it or just because somebody doesn't like it doesn't mean it's a good song or a bad song. It's all subjective. And I think as an artist, you kind of got to know that some people aren't going to like it and some people are going to love it. And that's great. That's what makes the world go around. Um, and that's what you know, your favorite song might not be my favorite song, or it might be, and there's nothing wrong with that either way, so. What are the chances that cinnamon or peppermint brings you back to the winter and makes you remember all of our IHOP breakfast for dinners? Hope that that brings you back to Memphis and that brings you back to college and that brings you back to falling for me again. I hope something So let's go back in time now. How did you first get into music? I know you said you've been doing this, like you had it, you said you had a manager since you were 15. So how early did you get into music and how did you get into it? So my dad plays, he he was always playing to us. I have a twin brother, actually. When I say us, I have a twin brother. Um, I have an older sister as well, but my brother and I actually used to do music together. Um, so we were always playing. Um, it's funny, my brother is the type of guy who, he's good at everything he does. Picks up an instrument, he is incredible at it. He is studying uh, at UT Knoxville. Um, uh, he's a vet, uh, a vet pre-vet, or not pre-vet, he is in vet school. Um, and, you know, he's got a 4.0 at vet school. Like, he's just that guy. Like, he was the captain of the varsity Frisbee team when he was a freshman. Like, he's just that guy. And that's my twin brother. So I was always competing with that my whole life. Um, so I'm not as naturally gifted as my brother, but I'm the hardest worker in the room, and I know it. Um, because I was always once again competing with my brother. Um, so I've always been doing it. You know, my mom says that I was trying to sing before I could talk, um, which I don't even know what that means. That doesn't make any sense to me, but apparently I was. <laughs> um, but, you know, you know, my first show was when I was 11 with my dad in our hometown. And, you know, then my brother and I were in a duo called the Brady Brothers, cringiest time in my life, um, for sure. There's still videos on the internet. I wish they could go away, but they probably won't. Um, and uh, it's just always been what I've loved. You know, as I said, my brother, he could kind of choose whatever he wanted to do. But this was, I feel like this has always been the thing I was meant to do since the beginning. You know, drums were my first instrument when I was five. Um, and I started playing guitar when I was 16. Um, and I fake it till I make it on every other instrument. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm really lucky that I get to do this. So do you remember anything about the first song that you wrote? I feel like I have, I consider two songs the first song that i wrote 
The first one was when I was like eight years old (laughs) and it was so bad. It was literally the same line over and over and over and (laughs) over again. And my best friend growing up, his mom was a singer. And I remember when I wrote it, I just was walking around the house. I was like, I have a new song. I want to go. I want to show Miss Durso, which is my my friend Nick's mom, because she was a singer. And I sang it to her and she was like, it's a little repetitive. (laughs) Um, But the song was like, Oh my god! Should I sing it? Because it's so bad. Go for it. I mean, it, I was eight. Who can be embarrassed by it? I, <laughs> it literally, it was. A, it makes no sense. It was a question. It was like, it was like, how long does, how long does, how long does it take to get that far away? I don't know what the that. Sorry, I can't say that. <laughs> I don't know what that means? Censor that. I don't know what that means. But that was my first song when I was eight. And then um, when I was thirteen, I wrote a song with my cousins. Um, my cousins are very gifted musicians. My cousin Tyler is 19 and he is a full ride to Juilliard for jazz piano. Um, my cousin, Allie, uh, his older sister, she's an opera singer. Um, and so we used to have a band together, me, the two of them and my brother called relative because we're relatives. (laughs) Um, and so we wrote a song, but it it was, it wasn't good. And, but you kind of got, got to get through millions of bad ones to get to your first good one years later. So, yeah. Kind of like a rusty faucet. Like it'll it'll be clear water eventually. <laughs> Who did this great way to put it? I mean, like, yeah. Who knows how to write a song immediately. Nobody does. No. You know, and I feel like I, I, even even now, I always look back at songs from a year ago or even six months ago. I'm like, okay, like the reason I keep writing songs is one, because I love it, but because I know I'm always going to get better songs. And like everybody will. If you write more, you're just going to, it's just like anything. It's like working out. It's like keep working that muscle. But those songs back then, bad. <laughs> <laughs> well at least you have a baseline you can go back to it and be like i'm progressing oh dude the song <laughs> with the brady brothers which is i was like 16 17 absolutely awful like i know why <laughs> I, always, I know why i always made fun of in high school is because of that <laughs> <laughs> so first time you step into a studio to record a song what what was most surprising to you about that experience that maybe you didn't know going into it that's a great question um, the first time I recorded ever was when I was 15. I, so I have Tourette syndrome um, and I speak in school. I was, I've been speaking in schools and, and um, you know, summer camps and anywhere, even, even, even to adults, but mainly in schools all across the country, Canada, South Africa um, for, for years. Um, and so Disney channel did a special on me back then when I was 15, the cringiest thing you'll ever see. There's a shot where they circle me with the camera and it's just acne across my forehead. I was 15 years old and it was bad. (laughs) Um, but, uh, we had to record two songs for Disney, um, for their special called make your mark. And it was the first two songs that Brady brothers ever wrote called those brown eyes and don't waste my time. Um, which I don't know who was wasting my time because I couldn't talk to girls back then. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we recorded two two songs, and I think the the biggest realization I had with it, I don't know if I had the biggest realization then or now. You know, I feel like I've learned so much since then. You know, I I produce my own stuff now. Um, I think the biggest realization that I've had is that you can do literally anything you want in the studio like you know at my little studio i'm sitting in right now like back then we rented this we, we you know rented studio time at this big studio we had you know engineers in there we had um you know it was a huge live room but now i get to do it in this little room and i can create any sound i want in this room with really talented people it's like it's just crazy you know you can make something sound like an entire orchestra and an entire rock band you can make something sound like literally just at your fingertips and i think that's so cool 
Yeah, that's incredible. So what would you say is your favorite part and least favorite part of the whole creative process, the whole writing, recording, mixing, just everything that you handle right now? What would you say is your favorite part and least favorite part? My favorite part, I love the thought. Maybe there's two thoughts. Maybe there's two favorites. My favorite thing to do is definitely writing the songs. But my favorite part of it is the fact that, I mean, what a, what other job gets to create something that wasn't there four hours ago that didn't even exist? Like we get to write a song and then it's that thing didn't exist four hours ago and then it's there. And that feeling is so gratifying. That feeling of being able to go show the girl I love the song I wrote about her about whatever that day is just so cool to me. And uh, it's just such a high, you know, I think that feeling, whether that's after finishing writing the song or getting back a demo or finishing a demo where you get to hear it and you're like, wow, like it's just so fun. And then I probably hate that song six months later, but I loved it in that moment. <laughs> yeah. um, and then my least favorite thing. I don't know, man. I don't know if there's a least favorite thing. You know, I don't know if I don't know if I have necessarily a least favorite thing in the creative process. I have a least favorite thing about just, you know, the job in general it gets as i said the lows are very low it gets very stressful when you're the product and if it's not working it feels like a, a, a reflection on you so i think i don't know if i necessarily have at least favorite part about the creative process maybe making seven tiktoks a day that don't go viral <laughs> and i'm like oh my god i wasted a day yeah you were better at the bitter than you were the sweet and it took a taste of freedom for me to see hinted at it a couple times and recently shared your journey of signing a record deal and just the whole everything you went through with that for about three years on social media so how did you and the record label get in contact and what was that process like of getting signed to a record deal in the first place like for someone who has no idea how that process works like how do you even cross paths well it's interesting i don't think it's the same for anybody when I signed with records, the way we met, they just sent me a cold email. It was a, I got an email from a company called records LLC and I get like spam emails from a quote unquote record label, you know, pretty frequently where it's like, Hey, we want to sign you to a record. Deal. I'm like, sure you do bro. Who's trying to steal all my money. Um, <laughs> yeah. I thought records was spam, but it wasn't the double. They sent me another email and explained who they were. And Barry Weiss is ahead of it. Who Barry's um, done very, very well for himself um, and music. You know, the way I got signed, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, to be honest with you. You know, when I was 19 years old, I really, really wanted a record deal. Who else wouldn't want a record deal? You know, it's supposed to change your life, right? You know, who doesn't want 60 people working with them at one time? Who doesn't want to say they're signed to Columbia Records? But when I was 19, I had no reason to be in that room. You know, I know they signed me because they thought I was talented, but I didn't walk in there with any cards in my hands. I didn't walk in there with, you know, 5 million monthly listeners on Spotify or, you know, TikTok wasn't thing, but, you know, couple million on TikTok or I didn't have any cards in my hands. I didn't have a hammer to throw. And I don't know if this is answering it directly, but I think my advice for any other artist at any age who wants to quote unquote sign a record deal, don't sign that deal until you can walk in that room and call the shots. Because we said it earlier, we, we live in a world now with TikTok and with Spotify where you can do it on your own. And having a label is incredible. When you have a full team working with you, full throttle, you know, whether it's taking your, you know, in country music, taking the song to radio or, you know, pop radio is still a thing, but, you know, going to radio or, 
you know, having a marketing team, having a creative, but why would you want to do that? Why would you want to do that if you don't get the best deal possible or you don't, you know, get to have creative freedom? So my advice isn't to meet record deal, isn't to meet record labels. My advice isn't to sign a record deal. My advice is build something so undeniable that they can't help but come for you. They can't help but come find you and want to sign you. Where you're at the point where it's it's not Dylan Brady at 19 years old who had his hands in a prayer position dying to sign a record deal. It's Bill Nye from Indiana who has 2 million on TikTok, has 5 million Spotify, monthly listeners on Spotify, has hit songs. And it's, hey, record label, I don't need you. But if I was to sign with you, what could you do for me? Or if you don't want it, somebody else will. And if they don't, I'm already doing it. But, you know, Dylan, I wouldn't have had that answer three years ago unless I went through what I went through with that record deal, unless I learned everything, because you're told that's going to change your life. You know, everybody wants to say they're signed to Columbia Records. It's so cool, right? But what does that do for you unless you're in the best position possible with them and, and, and you're able to put out music and you're able to be, you know, at the end of the day, an artist is a brand. An artist is a vision. And it's like, if you're not able to be your true self as an artist and people are telling you what to do or they're not letting you do things or, you know, you get shelved, like, what's the point? Wouldn't you rather walk in there with the cards in your hands? So when you sign that record deal, like what are the responsibilities of the artist versus the record label? Like what's the enticement there for artists to sign those record deals? Obviously the understanding is people like if I sign a record deal, I'm going to blow up. So like, what is it that record labels do? They essentially just market you, right? And just like introduce you to their audience that they already have. It's not even their audience that they already have. It's funny at the end of the, this is going to sound really messed up, but at the end of the day, a, a record label is basically a bank. You know, it's a loan. You know, you could go to a, a private investor and get that same amount of money invested into you and then hire a marketing team, hire a radio team. But a record deal, a record label comes in with all those things in place, but they're a bank. They're an advance. They're a, they pay for the studio time. They pay for the marketing. But if you don't have a record deal and you just got a private investor, you do the same exact thing. But what's enticing about it is, you know, for years, that's how it's been done is, you know, you sign a record deal and they take you the radio and they, you know, they have the teams there that you don't have by yourself, but that's all changed in the past 10 years. That's all changed where, you know, you needed a record label to, you know, put money into you for eyes to see you. But now look at the world we live in. You got a kid who's never written a song before, wrote his first one yesterday, posted on TikTok and it gets 20 million views. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast called And The Writer Is. It's where this guy, Ross Golan, is a pretty big songwriter, producer, um, and he interviews other big songwriters or producers. Um, and he was interviewing um, this writer, writer, producer named Pooh Bear. Um, and Pooh Bear did a lot of the early Bieber stuff, and he still yeah. does it. Um, done very well for himself, very talented guy. Um, and Pooh Bear was telling a story where Pooh Bear had, was sp- speaking to this record executive um, a few weeks before the podcast. And the record executive said to him that for the first time in his 30 year career in the music industry, for the first time, it's no longer best song wins. It's always been the best song wins, no matter what, no matter who the artist is, if they got that, if they have the best song possible, that's going to win. But now we live in this world where, you know, it's not the best song wins. It's the, the fandom wins. The most fans win. 
Because if you have a moment and you have a fan base and you have people listening to those songs, regardless, you know, they can't be bad songs. You, know, you still need hit songs. And, and that's where I kind of contradict, contradict myself. But just for the sake of telling this story, it's the fandom wins. If you're putting butts in seats, if you're getting streams on those songs, at the end of the day, an artist, they are money signs. And the songs can be great, but if you're not making money for that label, it doesn't matter. Now, my outlook on it is, you know, at the end of the day, I think the best song still still does win. Um, but it's a balance because if you have both, then the world is your oyster. So also on that post, you talked about you were signed to that record deal for three years and you're a really positive guy. And you said you didn't feel like the happiest guy in the room during that time. What were some things that discouraged you during that time? I know you talked about how you weren't necessarily in control of your own destiny. You weren't getting to call the shots. And that was your advice going where you could call the shots. Is that something that kind of played into being a discouragement during that time? Yeah. Um, my experience in my record deal was definitely different than most where I have nothing against record deals. You know, I'd love to sign another record deal when the time is right. It's, it's very common to be in a position with a record deal. Um, I know the most talented guys in this town who are who deserve the world, and they're either shelved or they're getting dropped just because there's so many things that come into play. But my, my experience was a little bit different where there were some outside sources um, at the label um, that kind of poisoned the well pretty early on. And that led to me not being able to put out music for three years. That led to me being treated the way I shouldn't have been treated. And that's not everybody at that label. I have, I have very, I have very close friendships with a lot of people over there. But, you know, as I said earlier, this job, this career is so personal. You know, those songs are your babies. You are the product. And, you know, once, I, once again, you know, the highs are so high because it's so personal. You know, a win feels like, man, like it's so close to you. It's your identity. You're winning, you know. But that also means when it's not working, those lows are so low. And. I am the happiest guy in any room. I've always been that way. But I woke up in the middle of that deal and I had this realization where I was like, I can write the best song I've ever written tomorrow and nobody's ever going to hear it. And that broke me. Sadly, that's more common than, than it should be with a lot of people. You know, I had a lot of conversation with a lot of people when I was going through that and after going through that, that it's very common. And that made me feel, definitely made me feel not alone in that, in that experience. But you know what, dude? Like the biggest realization I had was as a, once again, everybody wants 60 people working for them at one time, but if it's not the right team, it's never going to be. But I learned so much about myself as a writer, as an artist, as a person, as a, a business person, like so much that it also, what a blessing in disguise. I got three more years of writing songs in me that now they get to come out and I'm proud of them and they're only going to get better. Um, and I get to have conversations like this and sound way more educated than I was three years ago where, yeah, dude, it sounded, it felt sick to be like, yeah, I'm signed to Columbia Records. But what does that do for you if you're never going to put out the songs? You're not allowed to put out the songs, you know? If there was someone I want to keep wanted, I want to kiss more than you tonight. If there was someone my heart could fall for even harder, I'd be surprised.
So you are out of that record deal now after three years, and you actually just released your first independent release called "You Tomorrow." Finally, finally talking about the music. I know. Yeah. I know you pumped. <laughs> that yeah. was back. That was back on May twenty seventh this year, twenty twenty two. So what what was that like? Just recording and releasing your first original song post this record deal and also what what was the story of that one you, you told it on social media but i think you should tell it here again it's really cool that song is really special to me um i wrote that song middle of the pandemic on zoom i was actually in florida at my girlfriend's family's house in their laundry room writing on zoom with uh with michael whitworth and kevin bard who we've written a lot of songs together and uh you know that song it's so funny my girlfriend wrote me an anniversary card a few months before i wrote that song and uh, in the in the anniversary card, uh, it said that the only person I could love more than you is you tomorrow. And I was like, "Girl, that's a song." <laughs> and my girlfriend's a my girlfriend's a songwriter as well. Um, she is an incredible songwriter. She writes circles around me. She's a, she's amazing. And we actually tried to write the song together ourselves called "You Tomorrow." We we started it, but we just didn't get where we wanted it to go. And she was like, "You should just take that into another session." So I brought it in on that that day on Zoom. And Michael and I actually had the same exact title on the same day which that never happens uh you know i have hundreds of ideas written in my phone and it's pretty uncommon that everybody you know comes in with the same exact title the same day and we both threw out the title you tomorrow that day and we were like dang dude that's a sign um and uh you know those guys i love them to death they're some of my favorite people in the world um regardless outside of how talented they are just as people but also as songwriters i trust them wholeheartedly and we wrote that song when i was still in the record deal um, we funny enough had actually done a version that was way countryer, like full on country radio sounded super, super country because that's where the label wanted me to go sonically, but it never came out. And so after the record deal, I was like, you know what? I just, I want to make, I want to make Dylan Brady music. I don't want to sound like anybody else. I want to sound like me, dude. It feels really good. It feels really, really good to be making the music I want to make again. It feels really good to get it out. I feel like I want to be candid and be, you know, real that almost every artist I talk to has a very similar feeling about releases where it's always a love hate where you're so excited. It's out. <laughs> Damn. It didn't break the internet right around the, the end of the record deal. Uh, I, I had a conversation with my dad and my dad is very similar to me. He's a very happy guy. Um, and we have like a family joke in the house. where like, you know, we always are awaiting every single day an inspirational quote or video from my dad. Um, Cause he's just that guy. But you know, we were talking and I, I was just feeling really bummed. I was just feeling really, you know, dude, even though, even though I, I wanted out of that record deal, it was still overwhelming to get out. It was just like new territory. And, and until you sit down and talk about it, it's like embarrassing until you get the, you know, the, the real about it. Um, but my dad and I were talking and he was telling me about these cards that he reads every single day. It's a, it's a deck of cards that has questions on them. And, and I was feeling bummed. And he said that he read this card that day. Um, and on the card, it said, what can you do today that you couldn't do a year ago? I ask myself that question almost every day now. Um, and it doesn't even start with just the music. Like, what can I do today that I, that I couldn't do a year ago? You know, tomorrow I get to go, my niece is turning one and I get to go see her and I get to go, you know, my, 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 my sister and her husband and my, my niece live here now and I get to go see her and I get to wake up and I get to feel less stressed and I get to feel happier. I get to make the music I want to make. And lastly, I get to freaking put it out. It's like, that's what I can do today that I couldn't do a year ago. And dude, everything is about perspective and everything is relative. You know, I have spoken to people who I wish I was in their position because they've had, you know, a few songs break or whatever it is. And everybody feels what 
exactly what I'm feeling or what you're feeling or everybody feels that pressure every single day. I mean, if you work hard and you're determined and you want to get somewhere in your life, everybody feels the same pressures. It feels like a race. It feels like there's a timeline, but sometimes I need to take a step back and I'm such a hypocrite because I don't do it enough, but I need to take a step back and be like, you know, that song, the first song, I love it. I'm always going to be so proud of it. Didn't break the internet and that's okay. I've had a great, great response from so many people that I hadn't had a response to on songs before that I respect. I've had so many people be like, this is my wedding song. I've had so many people be like, you know, this is a song I need just so much that they need it or whatever it is. And that I need to focus. And I'm such a hypocrite because I don't focus on that enough, but I'm trying to. So. So also out on streaming platforms, you have some cover songs such as Still Into You and When I Look At You, great song. So what are some artists like those are some great artists there that you're covering. What are some artists that you look to and draw inspiration from, whether listen to them growing up or still listen to them here today? You know, man, I'm from, as I said, I'm from Long Island, New York, and country's gotten a lot, has a a lot bigger of a reach than did even, you know, 18 years ago uh, when I was really, really young. Um, but my mom's from all over down South. And so I grew up listening to, uh, you know, Shania Twain, Tim McGraw, the, uh, the chicks was the Dixie chicks. Now the chicks, um, Billy Currington, Colin Ray, but lastly, my favorite ever, uh, biggest influence was Roscoe Flats. And I always love, make the joke. Love Roscoe Flats. I always make the joke that it's the reason I like them is because, and Gary and I make this, I, I've, I've had the pleasure of being able to work with Gary and the whole Flats crew. Uh, but we make the joke that it was somebody else that uh, sounds like they haven't hit puberty, just like me, um, when they sing, because we both have really high voices. Um, but, you know, on the countryside, all of them, and especially Flats, um, I feel like Flats were the first people I listened to that were, you know, they were country, but they're doing something different for country even then. Just vocally, what Gary was doing, what they were doing. Yeah. Sonically. Um, but also, once again, I'm from Long Island, New York, bro. And that's not very country. <laughs> um, and so, you know, growing up, I was obsessed with Bruno Mars, obsessed with Bruno Mars. Like when I was your man, I was obsessed with that song. Um, Just the way you are, all of it, his doo-wops and hooligans uh, record. And then, you know, Maroon 5 I was obsessed with. But my my biggest, my man crush is Justin Bieber, for sure. Oh, and yeah. I, been, I mean, dude, the way I dress is just dedicated to Justin Bieber. My girlfriend <laughs> makes the joke. When I, when we started dating three years ago that I was stuck in Justin Bieber 2015 phase that I never got out of that. And so she's definitely helped me get more <laughs> current with the times, but uh, for sure Bieber has influenced me a lot, but yeah, dude, like there, I feel like also, there's also so many influences that are even, I don't even mention too much, but like my sister was a big green day fan. And so I listened to green day growing up or like, yeah. I listened to like all American rejects growing up, or even like, you know, I love Mariana's trench in high school, but I'd say like the main influences were definitely, you know, Shania, Tim McGraw, Don't Take the Girls, my favorite song ever. Um, Flats and then Bieber, Bruno. Um, but now, now who do I love, dude? I feel like I love a lot of my friends are really, really, really talented. And I feel lucky to be surrounded by so many talented people like my girlfriend or, you know, my buddy Kyle Clark or uh, my friend Lauren Weintraub, who uh, we're, pro- we're going to be putting out a song together. Um, but also, you know, I love Lauv. I love Lauv. I love Mokita or I love the band Valley is somebody I've uh, a group I've heard recently that I like, they were my most listened to on Spotify this past year. I don't know, man. Ed Sheeran as well was always an influence for me. I feel like it's a plethora of things. And that's why I think it's cool to make the music you want to make, you know, who cares if it doesn't fit in a box? I think that's sick, you know, like just sound like you. You live in Nashville and uh, Bieber was just there about a month ago. Did you make it to that show? 
I did. My girlfriend got us tickets for uh, our anniversary, which that was the first thing we had done since the pandemic. We took the pandemic pretty serious. My sister was pregnant. My girlfriend has lupus. Um, so we didn't see, do anything. And then yeah, that was the first thing we really did since. And there's a video on my Instagram and I think on my TikTok as well. It's a compilation of me screaming like a little girl in that in the in Bridgestone <laughs> arena where like we had these girls next to us who were like diehard believers since before he was like on YouTube. I don't even know how they knew who he was. Wow. Um, and they were like cheering me on in one of the, in one of the, <laughs> in one of the uh, shots. Uh, so big Bieber fan. Um, and I did get, to, it was the first time I ever saw him live where it was like, I've only ever seen him on my phone or something. And now I got to yeah. see him he was great. I mean, the dude can sing his butt off. It's just yeah. Stupid. That was a great show. I was at that show too, and that was also the first time I've seen him live. Wait, but... So you were we were in the same yes. arena. Yeah, I was at Bridgestone that night. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. That's great. I know. That's great. awesome. I did. It was. It was awesome. I've been wanting to see him since the My World album. Like, dude, sick. Like, yes. Are we the same? Because I, I've talked. I think to so. <laughs> I've talked to so many people that like you know his movie Never Say Never when he was like oh my gosh I watched that so many times yeah bro whenever I'm like down in the dumps and I need motivation <laughs> I go right back to Never Say Never it's funny it dude. Is. I always say with moving to Nashville I feel like always those artists are always on a pedestal because they're like it's like how are they even human and then when you get to this town and you meet them or you write with that or write with the people whatever it is it's like okay people are people but damn, Justin Bieber, bro. I don't even think that's guy. That guy's human. He's up here still for me. Like yeah. he's like on another level. So he's crazy. The only thing about that concert is he had Jaden Smith opening. Why didn't they do Never Say Never? That was. I thought the same exact yeah. thing. I'm like, they're in the same room. Why are we? I know. It? I don't know. Oh man, man. dude, I'm that would have that have been awesome. So something awesome that you do. You talked about a little bit earlier is you travel around speaking about your own experience with having Tourette syndrome and about everyone's differences and this also has played a huge impact in your artist career and i know it's something that's super close to your heart you, know, you mentioned that when we were talking before doing this can you just talk about how all that's kind of shaped who you are today yeah dude so i was diagnosed with tourette's when i was 13 funny enough i had never heard of tourette's till i was 13 i had moved schools um and i met my my best friend to this day at my new school and we were walking to recess one day and he was moving and making these noises. And I just asked him, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and because uh, for anybody who doesn't know what Tourette's is, Tourette's is basically movements or sounds that you can't control. Um, it's, uh, it's a neurobiological disorder um, or neurological disorder. And so he told me, he was like, I have Tourette's and he explained it. It was like a light bulb went off. And so I went to my doctor, explained what I've been feeling my entire life, you know, where I was, you know, closing my eyes a lot or sniffing a lot or hmm, humming a lot or whatever it was, all these, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of ticks over my entire life that I didn't know what they were and nobody, I didn't know. And uh, I was diagnosed with Tourette's when I was 13. And I had the immediate feeling that I'm sure there were people in the world and kids in the world that were diagnosed with Tourette's that were embarrassed by it. And not only Tourette's, you know, Dylan, I have Tourette's and you don't. I don't think you have Tourette's. You have Tourette's? No, no. Not, that I know, you, not that I know of. <laughs> but you probably have something that makes you different, right? Everybody has something that makes them different. And so I knew immediately after I was diagnosed, I really wanted to do something positive with it because I was sure there was people in the world who didn't feel as understood or felt scared or felt embarrassed. And so I started speaking in schools around the country, um, in Canada, I zoomed with South Africa, a school in South Africa this year. And you know, what I tell the kids is everybody has something. Everybody has something. And the biggest thing is accepting yourself. 
because if you can't accept yourself, how is anybody expecting you to, to accept other people? So you have to accept yourself for that difference. And then secondly, you have to accept other people because everybody's got something that makes them different. And then my the way I kind of end it is there's opportunity within our differences. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, when I was 13, I was diagnosed and I started speaking in schools. I didn't do that for anything other than I just wanted to do something positive, right? But what that then did is I started speaking in schools and then Disney Channel found out about what I was doing. So Disney Channel did the special called Make Your Mark. And you know, when I was 15 and I was making your mark, I was like, I'm on Disney Channel. Like, this is gonna change my life. And it didn't. It didn't in that moment. I was like, Justin Bieber, who? I was like, it's gonna, it's gonna blow up. And it didn't. <laughs> but uh, but what it did is then Zach Brown band found out about what I was doing. And Zach Brown has a camp for kids um called Camp Southern Ground. It's for kids with disabilities. It's both fully able, disabled, all over the spectrum of of differences and and putting them into the the same groups and same same camp and and it's a really, really beautiful thing. So Zach found out about what I was doing um, through the Disney stuff. And uh, he asked me to start, you know, speaking to Camp Southern Ground to the kids, opening for Zach a few times, um, working hand in hand. I'm actually going back this summer um, for a weekend. I hadn't, I didn't go last year because of COVID to work with Zach and the kids again. And, uh, but through that, after working with Zach, that's how I uh, started working with Rascal Flats. I met Joe Don Rooney from Rascal Flats, who's their guitarist. And Joe Don and I, Joe Don has become kind of my, my, my big brother, in a sense, uh, champion, and he was the first champion for me in town, somebody who really took me under his wing and, you know, opened up doors for me that weren't there. And so that led to the record deal. And, you know, although I'm out of that record deal now, if you look back, you know, it goes from the record deal or go from where I'm now back to the record deal, back to flats, back to Zach Brown, back to Disney Channel. It all goes back to finding an opportunity and what made me different. So you talked about it a second ago when we were talking about the sound of your music, but what's in the works right now as far as new music? So, yeah, man, what's next is a lot more music um, very continuously. And uh, yeah, dude, and I'm excited about that. So so for the millions and millions of Dylan Brady fans out there in the world, what's the best way for them to keep up with you and get updates about your new releases? Following me on all, all social media platforms, you know, Instagram, TikTok, are really the main ones, you know, I have Twitter as well and, and Facebook, um, but I'm definitely the most active. I should be more active on everything, but I'm definitely most active on those two. And then just, you know, my, all, all the uh, platforms, uh, digital streaming platforms, you can listen to music, all the, all the music's there. And also YouTube, um, I'm doing a video every single month for each song and also videos in between. So, you know, all social media platforms, I try and stay as engaged as possible with everybody. And, uh, and yeah, I like to, uh, I really love connecting with those people. So Dylan, thanks for taking the time to come on today. And I know I'm looking forward to hearing all these new releases as you put them out. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I love doing this. You've been so kind. That was Behind the Mic with Dylan Ingram. Make sure to stay tuned for future episodes. I wouldn't have a brand new car Cause I would have had to buy you a ring And now I never have to start While you're picking out a place to eat that ain't cheap And I never would've found the one The one that I got wrapped up in my arms If you never broke my heart